My thoughts this uh, Christmas time have been directed towards the, the peace that the world needs. And also knowing that Jesus is peace. He is the shalom of God. Knowing that he came to establish a kingdom of peace. We've got some hope here, but we've also got some questions to answer when it comes to this central claim of the Christian faith. And there was this wonderful declaration of God's attitude towards the whole of humanity that the angels declared to the shepherds in the shepherd's field in Luke chapter 2. It speaks about how the shepherds were gathered. And if you want a bit of historical accuracy here, it wouldn't have been in the bleak midwinter. The shepherds didn't keep the sheep outside beyond the month of September. So that will tell you a little bit about the date of the real birth of Jesus. But there they were, business as usual. And then there was this amazing manifestation, a visible manifestation of an angelic host proclaiming. And this is what happened. Verse 9, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's well pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. God said, I bring you my peace. And what did they see? Mary, Joseph and the baby Jesus. I wonder if you can imagine that scene somewhat romanticized and uh, attached with all kinds of stuff which isn't necessarily authentic. But if you could go back in your mind's eye to the simple, modest, biblical description, what did they see? It was after the labor and after the birth. So all the messy bit was over. And there was just that delight that finally the baby's arrived and the baby's safe and they are safe and Mary and Joseph whose relationship had been a little bit tested well to say the least because they were betrothed and the wedding vows had been made but before they actually came together as husband and wife Mary was expecting a child Joseph concluded the obvious and was saying, I'm going to have to divorce this woman, but I'll do it privately because of the shame she's brought on the family. And God intervened, and there was some explanation going on, and, 
And Joseph acknowledged that what had happened was nothing to do with the infidelity of Mary, but it was everything to do with the fidelity of God and his promise of bringing the Christ child into the world. And though Mary was not now an aberrant creature, she was actually highly favored, and Joseph was now given an amazing responsibility to hold it all together. But there they are. Outside, whatever it was, inside here into that place was a haven, a sanctuary of peace. An inner calm. Externally signaled by nothing but the bright light from a star overhead, a sign from heaven. A sign of God saying, upon you, my favor rests. Upon you, my love is fixed. Upon you. My peace is established. Let's think about that peace for a moment or two. We know from the Bible that God's peace is beyond understanding. In other words, when all your circumstances are shouting at you the opposite, you find contrary to the visible external circumstances a deep peace on the inside of you that speaks of the invisible kingdom of God. Think about their situation that first Christmas. The busyness of the, the season. Now that's right up to date. Amanda and I, we were able to go into the West End to do a little bit of shopping here and there. And my, 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 the stress, stress, stress. I don't know if you know about that movie technique where somebody can stand still and everything else is rapidly moving around them. That's how I felt. And I looked with understanding and uh, with a great deal of compassion, really, as I saw people, workers, rushing from the offices, being in the West End, there were quite a few television stars and personalities in the Liberty Store that, that we, we happened to be passing by. People desperate met some Kensington Temple members on the bus saying, oh, I've just got five minutes off work. I can manage to just spend a moment or two. The stress of getting everything done and everything ready, and that, that's understandable, it's very, very human. The busyness of the season, and that was a very busy season back in the day because more likely than not, all that traveling to go to get registered for the census happened during the Feast of the Tabernacles. And that fits in with, the, with my theory anyway that Jesus was, 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 was born, you know, more, more like the end of the autumn, uh, end of the summer, beginning of autumn, uh, not, not December the 25th. That's another whole date. Don't worry about that now. It's all good intentions that they celebrated it then. But the actual historical moment probably took place during the Feast of the Tabernacles and that would have aided uh, Caesar Augustus's decree that there should be a, 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 a census uh, to increase taxation and everybody was traveling anyway in the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a very, very busy time. They're also reminded of rising costs. What was the census all about? It was not just about law and order, it was law, order and a lot more tax. That's no political comment about anything that's happening in our nation, but there were financial stresses. 
And then when you take a step back, you see the whole of the period was dominated by two massive opposing forces that were boiling up into potential rebellion as the Jewish people were bent still double under the oppressive rule of Rome, the Roman occupation, and there were there was a ferment and, and people were saying we've got to do something about this and perhaps there was going to be some kind of revolution, some kind of revolt, some kind of rebellion. There was a political stress taking place. The longing for freedom of a people who had been promised freedom and a return from an exile that was centuries old that had still not taken place even though the Jews had been repatriated into their own nation. They were from that moment of restoration to their own nation. They were still under occupation longing for freedom, longing for something that was not yet fulfilled. Add to that the personal stress. Mary, a teenager... Joseph having to fight off a potential scandal. All of this were the external circumstances. But in the middle of it all, as if in the eye of a storm, everything raging, raging around them, but here a deep inner peace in the sanctuary of the human heart and the human spirit. God's peace is beyond understanding. It's peace in the midst of trouble. Because it's not dependent on external circumstances or even on present circumstances. It's peace in the midst of the storm. It's peace in the midst of pain. It's peace in the midst of disappointment. And this reminds us all that the only peace on earth must be a peace that comes from heaven. It's a peace that passes understanding. It's also a peace that flourishes in simplicity. The essential things boil down to the simple things. Isn't, isn't that right? Now, I know life itself is extremely complicated, but really, when you boil it right down, it's the real simple things that we appreciate and value above all things. The simple things of little children smiling, of parental joy. There were at least two overly proud fathers on this platform today, both of them staff members. And you know, I'm getting younger and younger every day, and I'm feeling younger and younger every day, but at the age of 63, you kind of start thinking about how your values have been simplified over the years. And the older you get, the more you appreciate the simplest things, the simple tokens of relationship, friendship, simple things, the bonds of family, love, the bonds of commitment, understanding. Simple is as simple does. <laughs> What you see is what you get. Mary and Joseph, no guile. Simplicity of spirit. It was that simplicity of spirit that Mary was able to say to this astonishing, mind-blowing, earth-shattering news, you're going to have a child. It's going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. This is going to be of God, of the Holy Spirit. It was in the answer to a simple question, how can this be? 
I know not a man. And then when she hears this news, she says, Okay, let it be so. According to your word. There is simplicity of faith according to a principle, my dear friends, that will take you through the most difficult times, keep you safe in the most blessed of times, which is sometimes more dangerous when everything is going well. That simple trust, God, you've said it, and I yield to it. And Joseph, not said much about him. He is the, the Prince Philip of the royal family, the one who has to stay in the background a little bit, the one who is supportive, whose role as second fiddle in the holy family is like unbelievably difficult and often understated and underappreciated. Joseph being a just man. Just that phrase, a just man. Not, not a man who was laboring for justice because justice would have meant that the offense of Mary's pregnancy was that he was duty-bound in every moral and socially acceptable sense to publicly disgrace her, publicly divorce her. But being a just man, meaning not only did he know the law, not only did he understand what was right, but he had compassion and had a gentle spirit. What a example of the simplicity of real manhood. Oh, it flourishes in simplicity. So it transcends human understanding, flourishes in simplicity, but also it is anchored to hope. Because one thing is clear, that at that moment, the birth of the peace child, the one who is shalom manifested, and the shalom of God does not just mean absence of war, it means reconciliation of all relationships, first of all reconciled to God, reconciled to one another, and sometimes the hardest thing to be reconciled to ourselves. That peace was manifested at a certain point, a certain place, while the storm raged on. And I think it is fair to say that the storm has continued to rage in one way or another from that moment, <clears throat> 2,000 years ago, to this very moment. Maybe today in this place, and I dare to believe that it is uh, relatively true, or, or at least in part true, that here in this place there is a sense of peace. The peace of God being established and re-established in our hearts, but, but not many meters from here in all likelihood there is pain there is suffering everything that is the antithesis of peace we don't have to go very far to find that there are troubled people and troubled nations and today as we look out on our world we're not just putting our head in the sand we know our world is crying out for the very peace that has peace that has been promised and according to the christian faith has already been delivered how can it be? If shalom is a total well-being, it must only mean this, that that which has begun is yet to be completely fulfilled. The peace in that holy family, 
points to a total transformation which has begun but is yet to, yet to come. What we see is not the whole story. It's not yet the final outcome. It's a work begun. But the fullness will surely come because the baseline of peace has been established, which is peace with God. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he's well pleased. Rather complicated phrase. And I had to ponder over it. And I was helped very much by one of the most brilliant critical analytical scholars of the Greek language ever to be gifted to the Christian church, the late Professor Bruce Metzger. Let me quote him. He said, the meaning seems to be not that divine peace can only be bestowed when first human goodwill is present. In other words, God will only bless you if you're good. The Santa Claus story doesn't quite fit here. Have you been a good boy? Have you been a good girl? It's not about that. God's peace, God's blessing comes upon all of us because his favor is exactly that. It is a gift bestowed ahead of time. Then Bruce goes on to say that at the birth of the Savior's Savior, God's peace rests on those whom he has already chosen in accord with his good pleasure. In other words, God decides to bless us. Out of his mercy, out of his grace, he decides to choose a woman, to choose a man, to bring them together, and out of that bring peace into the world. And in the same way, he's chosen you, he's chosen me, and he said, I am going to place my favor there, and my peace is going to come. My peace is a gift of hope. So as we look forward... Because there was a real man, God manifested in the, in the flesh, the real homo deus, the God-man, the real God-man. Not what I'm holding in my book. This was my Christmas present to myself. Nobody else would be stupid enough to buy it for me. <laughs> but I did buy it because I like to read well and find out what people are saying, especially people who don't believe in Jesus. After all, these are the people we want to connect with. This is written by a humanist, and it's follow-on from his book, The Origin of Man. Now he's talking about the future of humanity on the humanist worldview. Uh, in fact, an evolutionary worldview. It's a brief history of tomorrow, and homo deus, meaning this is the next step in humanity, in our evolution. We're going to get better and better and better. We're going to get so better that we're going to be like God. Where have you heard that before? Now, humanism is really a Christian heresy because we believe in a homo deus. It is God manifest in the flesh, not us trying to achieve God and find some status up there, but God coming down to where we are, heaven touching earth, God's peace coming from heaven and affecting us. Listen to some of the outrageous claims. Through our next step of, hu of human evolution, war is going to be obsolete. 
famine will disappear. Death will just be a technical problem. So many other things. Now, I don't mock the book. It's written by a highly intelligent man. The book encourages me because it shows that we are right to dream the dream of immortality. We are right to dream the t dream of human attainment. And they are right to dream the dream. But the solution is not what we can produce. The solution is what has already come down from heaven. It's from the top down, not from the bottom up. And if only we could transfer our hopes, our dreams from ourselves onto Christ and onto God, there'd be plenty of us for us to do. We are participants in all of this. We don't sit back and do nothing. But when we link to Jesus, suddenly all things become possible. But the hope of the peace is not in what we will ever produce. It will be in the kingdom of God when Jesus returns to complete his project of shalom for everybody. So I say to you, in the name of Jesus, shalom, shalom, shalom. Peace be with you this Christmas time and right the way into 2017. Amen and amen.